we're talking about contentment and uh, what the Word of God has to say to us about that topic. And so if you'll turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, we'll be discussing Philippians 4 verses 10 through 13. Uh, but kids, we have a, a friend here to help us out talking about contentment because that's a big word. So we've got somebody who's going to help us to understand the idea of commitment, uh, contentment. And I think he's got great fashion sense because my shirt looks just like his, but um, let's, uh, let's give our attention to our friend Douglas. The Lord will provide. Hey guys, it's me again, Douglas. And I wanted to talk to you guys today about contentment. Yeah, contentment is basically just being happy with what you have. And I always hear people saying this expression. I always hear them say, the Lord will provide. And I really love that expression because, well, God does take care of his people. He will provide. There's all kinds of times in the Bible where it says that God will provide. And you know what? I need the Lord to provide because I need a new backpack. Yeah, so school is starting and I've got this old, old backpack from like three years ago. And I, I it's old and it's kind of, the edges are kind of frayed a little bit. It looks really ugly and... And I wrote Douglas on it in, in Sharpie, but I didn't know how to spell very well back then. So the S is backwards and it's just this ugly, ugly thing. So I need a new backpack because everybody's getting new backpacks for back to school. But I've got this old, old backpack. And so it's really comforting to know God will provide. So I think God will give me a new backpack. And I was thinking about this and I was thinking about this. And I got kind of this, have you ever felt like that? Like, like you were thinking something and you thought to yourself, well, that's not right. Yeah, well, that's how I felt. I, I, I did not feel like that was the right way to feel. And so I was thinking about that expression, the Lord will provide. And it's a good expression because he does and he will. But with my backpack, the thing that I needed to remember is not that the Lord will provide, but that the Lord does provide. You see, I was sitting here complaining about this backpack that it's ugly and, and it's got my name spelled wrong on it. But you know what? I have a backpack. I do. It might be kind of ugly, but it carries my books. And yes, someday I may get a new backpack. God may provide me a new backpack. Maybe even this year. But instead of being upset about what I have, I should be grateful for what I have. I should be content with what I have. God will provide for my needs. If God takes care of little birds, he's going to take care of me. Because God loves you and me way more than he loves little birds. And he loves them a lot. And so my challenge to you guys today is that you would be content with what God has given you. It's okay to ask for more things. But it's not okay to be ungrateful for what God has given us. God has an awesome plan for you. And it's not a plan that starts sometime way in the future. God's plan for you started even before you were born. And it's a good plan. God loves you very much and he wants to take care of you. So let's all try to be content with what God has given us. And remember that the Lord provides. So it's a good word. How many of us, we would say... I struggle with contentment. Maybe it's not a new backpack that we want. Maybe our, our items that we're wanting or desiring are actually more expensive than a new backpack. And uh, you know, iPhone 12's out, right? Anybody want the iPhone 12? Anybody over like, you know, come on, they come out with an upgrade every year. They're just trying to get you to buy. I, I'm one of those guys who like, I buy into it, you know, that totally need the next iPhone. Contentment, it's a, it's a challenge, it's a struggle. We all struggle with this sense of contentment. And so we're going to look at this passage today because Paul says that he found the secret 
to contentment. And anytime somebody says, hey, there's a secret to contentment or anything in life, I think there's a couple things. Either one, we get skeptical, or two, we really listen in because we want to know. And so we're going to look at this passage, and in this passage is one of the most probably famous verses in all of Scripture. I can do all things in Christ who gives me strength. Tim Tebow put it on his eye patches, and 94 million Americans came to know Jesus through Philippians 4.13. I can do all things. Maybe uh, you grew up in any type of sports. I I was told, I I gave my own illustration earlier, and I said, you know, guys, you know, playing sports, you know, we're going to win. It's like, it's, it's girls too. It's girls too. Thank you, Emily, for filling us in. Girls too have this experience where you're like in the gym or your sports team, and, and maybe you grew up and you have a t-shirt from your sports team, and it says Philippians 4.13 on the back, because we can defeat our opponents through this verse. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And that's how we've heard this, this verse. That's the context in which we've heard it. It's been in the sports arena. It's been in the gym. You're, you're about to walk up before your biggest bench press you've ever done, and your friend looks at you and says, hey, you, you can do all things in Christ who gives you strength. And then what do you do? You're, you need help getting the bar off your chest, right? Like somebody, and you're like, what happened? Did God fail me? No, we just took the verse out of context. It's important that we don't just flip through the Bible and just point to a verse and say, okay, what does this mean? We need to read the surrounding context. And so what we do here at Ecclesia, a lot of times is teach through verse by verse to kind of give you the overarching picture of the book so that we don't just kind of hit you know, on this verse and this verse, and we don't grab the surrounding context and understanding what the verse is talking about. So we're going to do that because this verse, while it is a famous verse, it is a misquoted verse, and it's important for us to know the context it's in. So we're going to read 10 through 13 this morning, and here's what it is. It says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. This is Paul speaking. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now that I'm speaking, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then this verse I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, that's a different context in which maybe how we've applied that verse. And so I want to give you some background on this passage. We're just going to start. What did this mean to the original hearers? What's going on in this passage? I want you to be reminded this morning that Paul is writing a letter, this letter to the church in Philippi is where we get Philippians. And so he's writing to a church that he started, that he planted, that he saw people rise up and come to faith in Jesus. And then they started this church. And he's, while this church is happening and occurring, Paul is imprisoned and he is apart from them. He's separated from him. He's literally imprisoned, potentially waiting his coming execution. And in the midst of that, he's writing this letter back to the Philippians to tell them thank you. 
thank you for reviving your concern for me. Now, this idea of reviving is like something blossoming or something that was dead that is now flourishing. And it's like, well, what happened? Did they not care for him? Did they not love him? And it wasn't out of lack of love or devotion to Paul because Paul says, you didn't have the opportunity. Something was keeping them from being able to come and send support. We read early on in the book of Philippians that Epaphroditus was given a gift. He was given financial resources to take to Paul to provide for him. Because it's not like in our prison, you know, day and era where like all your things are provided. It would be like if you want to live in prison, your family would have to care for you. Your family would have to support you. Your friends would have to send financial resources to provide your food and your bed and everything that you need to survive. And so here's Paul writing them saying, thank you for that gift. Thank you for taking care of me. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you that God stirred in your heart a sense to want to care for me and love me and protect me. But I also want you to know that I don't worship the gift, I worship the giver. And that's why he says, I rejoice to the Lord. I rejoice in the Lord for the generosity that's stirred in you. And Paul wants to make sure that his contentment, his satisfaction, his joy in life is not based on them sending this gift but in God and God alone. And that's what he's wanting to kind of clear up for them. He enjoys the gift. He doesn't worship the gift. In verse 11 and 12 are key verses. He said, I was brought low. I had plenty. I had abundance. I've been in need. And in all those different circumstances of life, in poverty and wealth, I have learned the secret of being content. Now, like I said earlier, I think a lot of us, when we hear someone say, I've learned the secret, we're like, oh, really? You've learned the secret, right? minute I hear that, I get skeptical. I've learned the secret of how to lose 30 pounds in 30 days. And we're like, sign me up, right? I've learned the secret to make 30K in 30 days. I've learned the secret of winning friends and influencing people. And like, we all want to know what is the secret behind that. And you only have to pay $19.99 and three easy payments, you know, and like, this is, this is kind of how it's sold to us. But here Paul is saying, I have learned the secret of being content. Now, what I want us to kind of discover this morning is we're going to answer three questions. Why is it a secret? Why is contentment, why is that a secret to learning how to be content? Two, what is the secret? Like, what is, let us know. Fill us in. Tell us what's going on. What is the secret? And how do I learn the secret of being content? So let's start first of all. Why is it a secret? Paul says, I've learned the secret of being content. And ultimately, when someone says they've learned the secret, it, it means it's something that doesn't come natural. If all of us knew it, if it was common information, it wouldn't be a secret, but it's a secret because not everyone knows. And not everyone knows because we haven't come to understand. It does not come natural. It only comes through practice. Contentment is not the natural inclination of the heart. It's not. None of us are born content. We are all born discontent. Babies cry 
because they're discontent. Something is not right. And they want to let you know. We are all born with a heart that is discontent. We have been hardwired in a way to seek contentment in things ultimately that we would seek and find God. God hardwired you, no matter who you are, no matter what your religious background, you're just showing up here today. One thing I know that is true about every single person that walked in that double door this morning is all of you are worshipers. You worship some things, you, you worship those things, ultimately because they bring satisfaction and joy in your life. You give your life, your time, your money, your attention to things. You've been hardwired to worship. Ultimately, that you would seek these things and not find joy and satisfaction. Ultimately, that it would move you to a point that you would seek God and find him and in him find true contentment. We think about the original sin. The original sin with Adam and Eve, there's a sense of discontentment in that. A lot of us say, if, if I just had, you know, if, if God was here with me in the flesh, walking with me, and, and I were able to experience that, then I would have true lasting joy and satisfaction. Well, that's Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve had a relationship with God the Father. They walked with him in the cool of the day. He provided for all of their needs. There was no relational conflict. There were no financial needs. There, there were no needs at all. But ultimately, they still found themselves discontent. There was something they felt that was lacking. They felt like God was withholding. And even in the midst of that, they they were not content. Ecclesiastes 6-7, I want to read it to you in the message translation this morning. It says, we work to feed our appetites, meanwhile our souls go hungry. And that's why it's, that's the reason why it's a secret. Most of us are feeding the wrong thing. We have this appetite and we're feeding it with stuff, with relationships, with all the things of this world when our souls are what are longing and they're longing for God. Our souls are hungry. And so the reason it's a secret is because we have an appetite for something but we don't realize it's our soul crying out for God of the universe. Tim Keller says, contentment is a secret. It's something we know about, but we don't know about it. It's something we all feel, but we don't know the key to it. We all experience discontentment. We're discontent over our life. We're discontent over our job, over our relationships, over our home, over our finances, over our health, over our physical body, and it's eating its way of our life. It's, it's eating away our life. It's that discontentment is robbing us. And what Paul says is he has figured out the secret. And that should kind of get us on the edge of our seats, and we should be like, I want to know that because all of us, the thing that like eats away at us every single day is this, this belief of discontentment that we need something else to truly satisfy us. Now, before I jump in and kind of answer those questions, I want to talk about, because I think there's a lot of misconceptions around what the secret of contentment is. Or what, how do we live a life of contentment? So I want to describe, first of all, the fourth question is, or what the secret isn't. And here's what I would say, first of all, and taken directly from our text, it's not a change in circumstances, but learning to live within the circumstances. It's not a change in circumstances. We've entitled this series, Finding Joy Wherever You Are. 
And that's the hope is no matter what circumstances life has given you, that you're able to find joy. That's what the book of Philippians is all about. That no matter where you find yourself, in poverty, in wealth, in abundance, when you're lacking, that you can find joy and contentment in the Lord. It's not more money. It's not more significance. It's not more relationships. It's not more house. In fact, we all know, we've all read the stories of famous wealthy people in Hollywood who have everything but really have nothing. Because it's not based on your circumstances. It's not what you have, it's who you know. And we're going to get to that here in just a second. Second of all, it's not living a life with disappointment. You can be disappointed and not be discontent. Anybody disappointed over the current state of COVID-19 in Salt Lake City? I am. Anybody disappointed with the fact that you can't just like go up and hug somebody? Maybe some of you are like, I I think that's great, you know? Uh, Anybody disappointed you can't just like go and sit down at a restaurant, share a meal and like, like I watch people on TV and it's like videos from, I say from way back when, you know, like when people hugged and high-fived and I'm like, whoa, 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 hold on a second. They're going to share this disease with each other. Like, you know, I'm, I'm watching, we're watching an old movie last night and they're like hugging. I'm like, well, you can't do that. And it, it's crazy. Like I, there's a, la- a sense of disappointment, but we can still have joy in the midst of it. I, I think about like for many of us, there, there's, there is a holy discontent that things aren't the way they should be. We, we experience that in our world. We look at that in the political climate, the racial climate. Anything you want in our world today, we look at things and we go, this is not the way it should be. There should be some disappointment in that. There should be some sense of going, this is not what God designed and ordered and created the world to be. But this is, and there's a disappointment. But God has given us the power to find joy and satisfaction in life in the midst of that. It's not living a life without disappointment. Third, Living a content life is not a life of passivity or laziness. So some of us are going, I'm just supposed to be content, so I'm just going to do like nothing. And I'm not out to like change or improve my lot in life. And I want you to know, hear me this morning, like if that's you, that's not what this passage is speaking about. Because he says, I've been wealthy, I've been in poverty. And like, Neither one of those things are are a a place of satisfaction and enjoyment. But if you find yourself in poverty, it's not to say that you should stay there. That's not what this text is teaching. This text isn't saying, like, if you find yourself in poverty, you just need to deal with it and get over it and, like, live in that state. No, you should do everything you can in your strength, in your power, in your ability, in Christ through his strength, to see your way out of that situation. My question is, when you find yourself in that situation, are you miserable? Random chairs falling. Sorry if that scared you guys. For, for instance, uh, one of the things that I, w- I would say is that we're not building wealth and our desire to build wealth is not to find satisfaction and enjoyment in that wealth. But as John Wesley said, we should build wealth. We should make all we can, save all we can, and give all we can. 
And so this is not an anti-wealth or anti-striving to see your life change and flourish. This is not sense of where like the secret is that you won't experience any disappointment in life. No, we will. This is not a, a, the secret isn't just change your circumstances and you'll change your life. It's how do you live in the midst of those. And so that's what the secret isn't. So what is the secret? How do we find joy no matter where we are? No matter what the circumstances of life are. And the key of this is in this word content. When we look at the, the Greek word, the Bible was originally written in Hebrew and Greek. Hebrew, Old Testament, Greek, New Testament. The Greek word there for content literally means self-sufficient. Which should sound kind of interesting because if we put it in the sentence that, that, that Paul uses, he says, I have learned the secret of being self-sufficient. And if any of you have been in church for any extended time or you follow Jesus, you're like, I didn't think that was a good thing. I didn't think we were supposed to be self-sufficient. I thought we were to rely upon God to meet our needs, to provide, to, that we shouldn't be isolated on our own trying to meet our needs ourselves, to strengthen ourselves. But Paul steals this word from the Roman and Greek philosophers of the time because they believed for one to experience true satisfaction and joy in life that one must become self-sufficient. That if any need were to arise in your life, you would be able to meet it. You would be able to care for it. You don't need any help from the outside. And so you're self-sufficient. And maybe in the last few months, that's kind of been something that's robbed your joy of going, dude, I, got, I need to be self-sufficient. I need to, like, I'm not necessarily even dependent upon my job. If my job were to let me go, if my job were to quit paying me, how do I continue to make income? We're all seeking to be self-sufficient. How do I find joy outside of you guys? How do I find significant, uh, significance on my own? And so Paul says, I've learned the secret to being self-sufficient. And here's what it is. If you want to be self-sufficient, be Christ-sufficient. That's what he says. The secret to being self-sufficient is being Christ-sufficient. And, and that's the secret. And so What's interesting is he's saying this, and he kind of robs that word from the Greek and Roman philosophers. Paul loved to argue. Paul was a debater. Paul would be able to, he was wise. He could do that. And so he's, he steals this word, and he says, you want to know how to be self-sufficient? And the Roman and Greek philosophers are like, yeah, because that really hasn't worked for us. Anyone who's tried to be self-sufficient knows that it doesn't work. And so Paul here says, yeah, like, you want to know how to be self-sufficient? I can do all things, here's where that verse comes into play, I can do all things in Christ who gives me strength. If you want to be self-sufficient, be Christ-sufficient. Rely yourself solely upon Christ. Find your dependency, your trust, your value, your worth supremely and solely in Christ and Christ alone. Like I said earlier, I've heard several people over the years say, contentment is not found in what you have, but what you know. And Paul says, it's knowing Jesus that I'm content. It's having a relationship, an intimate relationship with Jesus. 
He told us back in Philippians 3 that nothing compares to knowing Jesus. That nothing does. And I, I just want to ask you this morning, have you experienced that? Has there been a time in your life where you've truly experienced nothing compares to knowing Jesus? There is nothing that satisfies like Jesus. There is nothing that brings joy in my life like Jesus. Have you forgotten that? I've forgotten that. There are times where I believe that I need other things other than Christ to be sufficient. I need other stuff. I need other items in my life. I need other relationships. I need a sense of significance and identity. And if I have these things, then I'll be sufficient. But if we have Christ, we are self-sufficient. We are free. So have you experienced that? Have you forgotten that? Maybe you're here this morning, you want to know that. You want to know that Christ is sufficient, that nothing compares to knowing Christ. I'd have you hear me say this morning that the more we know Christ, the more we worship Christ, the more we become intimate and knowing and and in relationship with Christ, the more our needs in our life begin to shrink. So the bigger God is in our life, the bigger view that we have of God, the smaller the discontent of our hearts. And so Paul Tripp, who is counselor, pastor, he would say that our role in moving to a place of contentment is to move to worship, to move to see more of God for who he truly is. He says this quote, I believe it's on the screen, the key to getting off the climb, like we're always climbing, we're always trying to seek the next best thing. The key to getting off the climb and experiencing true commitment is not having more, it's not through circumstances, it's not learning to live with less, The key to contentment is worship. It's only when my heart is satisfied because of what I've been given in Christ and so much more delighted with God's glory than in the possibility of possessing the next glorious physical thing that I'll leave the hunt. And that's the thing, is that we can quit searching. We can quit trying to feed our appetite when we find the thing that truly satisfies our soul, which is Christ. How many of you in this, this past season, maybe the past 10 months dealing with COVID, we're, we're being forced to see that Christ is sufficient? We're, we're being forced to see. I mean, we all experience the disappointment of not being with one another. And we all experience the the disappointment of even having to move, like even our online gatherings, our our gatherings to to be online and not being able to be physically present together. And while those are disappointing, and while I'll be the first to be an advocate for why we should gather together and why we should be in relationship with one another— that there's not enough relationships in the world that will bring you true satisfaction and happiness. It's only in Christ, in Christ alone. And so how do I learn to be content? How do I learn the secret? I want to give you, this is a very practical text, so I want to give you some practical responses. Five ways in which we learn to be content. And the first is this, get curious about your discontentment. 
Get curious about your discontentment. Ask yourself these questions. What is it that you're seeking to rejoice in more than Jesus? What is it that holds greater value, greater worth than knowing Jesus? What is it that you would say, if only I had, and fill in the blank, if only I had this, then I would be truly satisfied, joyful, content in life. Get curious because if there's anything in the blank other than Jesus, we're looking to that thing to be our functional savior and every single 100% of the time, it will disappoint you. It will not be able to meet the demands you're asking of it. It will fail to meet your expectations. If it's anything other than Jesus, it will disappoint. Now, many of us live, and, and I believe it was Tim Keller who said this, many of us live with this illusion. Many of us are not going to experience extreme poverty. Even if you're here today and you're like, man, we're living paycheck to paycheck, you're still in like 1% of the top wealth in the world. There, there is much to, to say of, of what we have in our possession. We're, many of us are not going to experience extreme poverty, and many of us are not going to experience extreme wealth. And because of it, we live in this middle, and it's kind of an illusion that something always lies ahead of us. And it's on this horizon, and we're journeying through life, and we believe that life only, it's just something up ahead. And if I get that, then everything is going to be good and we live with this illusion in life. Now, here's the thing. I'm almost 40, and I don't know when midlife crisis happens, but I feel like it's happening. Why? Because that illusion is going away. There's a time in life when it happens when that illusion, that thing that you've been running after, that thing that you've been seeking, it goes away for some reason. Either one, you have enough experiences in life where you recognize you know what the pattern of my life is? I go and I seek and I try to, and I have these expectations of these things to meet my joy and satisfaction in life, and ultimately, I, I, I'm disappointed. And you do that enough times that you're like, it, it didn't satisfy. Or, or maybe you, you go through life and, and like you, you experience some great losses and, and it's through those great losses that I, that illusion is totally blown. And, you know, so for, for me, you know, my mom passed away last October. And I say I, I spent the first few months of, like, COVID quarantine of just kind of being reflective of that. My mom passed away in October, you know, and January comes, and February, and then March, we're kind of locked down. And and I think about my mom's life. You know, my mom worked her whole life. She, she invested, she put away money for retirement. All she dreamed of is that when there would come a point in life when she would be able to retire and she would be around her grandchildren and kids and be able to love them and bless them and serve them. And there's nothing more than she would love today to be here and serving in our church and seeing the kingdom of God advance in Salt Lake City. She would love to do that. And I think about all of her life, she worked for that moment, and then she died. And for me, as I began to kind of dwell on her life, I go, that illusion, I, I have that illusion. 
That it's just, it's just over the next horizon. And for me, that, that, was, that illusion was revealed. The lie was revealed in that. that there's, there's not something just over the hill that's going to bring true satisfaction and enjoyment. And it's through my mom's death, even in the midst of that, that is God's grace to me and God's mercy on me to show me that it's, it's not tomorrow, it's not next week, it's not next month. It's like we need to live in the here and now and find the way to be content no matter what our circumstances are. And so I think we need to get curious about our discontentment. The second thing I would say is this, and I've kind of already explained this, but allow experiences to teach you that Jesus is enough. Allow experiences to teach you that Jesus is enough. Could this past season of not being with one another, tight with one another, connected with one another, that, that we look at our landscape in, in our city, in our country, in our world, and what if we look at the last 10 months as an opportunity to learn contentment? How do we can be content when some of the superfluous stuff that's in our life is kind of removed and we're just kind of isolated in our homes by ourselves? Is Jesus enough in the midst of that? Is he enough? Could this past season be God's mercy to show you that you can be Christ-sufficient? Could COVID be an opportunity to become Christ-sufficient? Not self-sufficient. Three, spend time with people that believe Jesus is enough. I think what Paul is modeling for them is, Paul has been in like the best and the worst. Paul has been at the, the heights, seeing amazing things, and he finds himself in prison. And he says, I've learned to be content in the midst of that. Imagine the impact. I think that did impact the Philippian believers. I think the reason they were able to be generous with their like meager financial resources, they were not wealthy, but they gave of their financial resources. Why? Because I believe they learned the secret of being content from being with Paul. I remember going on mission trips, and we took a lot of mission trips in my previous church. I think one of the ways that you experience and understand that Jesus is enough is experience and meet people that, that are, are struck by extreme poverty, living in situations and conditions that you and I would just sit, think it's unfathomable. And yet in the midst of that, they still are able to say, Jesus is enough. It's through people like that that we learn. It's through people who have experienced extreme poverty and say Jesus is enough. It's through people who have experienced even extreme wealth because we say, if only I got there, I'd be happy. But we know so many people who have experienced that and they would say, that's not where true satisfaction is found. Four, celebrate and rejoice in the good gifts you already possess. Thanksgiving's coming up. Now for many, it's, it's a time with family and friends gathered around the table. But I want you to just remember to give thanks. Give thanks to God for what he has given you. If you're a believer in Jesus here this morning, you have already had the greatest need in your life met by God the Father. 
you and I have our enemies were enemies of God. We experience, we're going to experience the wrath of God. But yet God in his mercy sent Jesus Christ to the cross for you and I so that we would experience forgiveness and relationship and enjoyment of God the Father. There is no greater gift than having a relationship with God the Father, and he's already done that. And so we are to be moved to to gratitude and worship, and the battle against discontentment is gratitude and worship. Fifth thing is this, commune with Jesus. Commune and abide with Jesus. If we go back to Psalm 23, Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The one who has the Lord as his shepherd is one who walks in contentment. Why? Because he provides. Like our friend Douglas at the beginning, the Lord provides. The Lord provides. And we are to commune and we are to have this intimate relationship with God the Father. I I would have you know this morning that your sense of contentment right now is a gauge of your spiritual condition. Right now, if you look at your life and you say, I'm, I'm a fairly content person, I'm, I'm content with life, that's probably because your intimacy with, with Jesus is, is good. You're close. You, you have a relationship. You experience that. If you find yourself discontent, it's probably because Jesus feels very distant and far and separated. I believe that the contentment is a state of your heart's spiritual condition. And so I would just ask you this morning, do you know Jesus? Because that's what Paul says is the secret to contentment. It's knowing Jesus. It's through knowing Jesus that I can be in relationship in Christ. And it's through him that I can do all things, that I can face all circumstances with joy, that I can, I can find joy wherever I am through knowing Jesus. Do you know Jesus? And how will you know Jesus more? Because it's not a one and done. It's not like I pursued him yesterday. Like today, we're to know him. And so I just want you to kind of just close your eyes and reflect. I know some of you have kiddos and man, just grab them tight and hug them and Just try to focus in the next few minutes because I I would just ask you this morning that your sense of contentment is all wrapped up in your, your knowledge and knowing of Jesus. And my heart for you this morning is that you would just know Jesus. That it's through knowing Jesus that that appetite of our soul The deep longing and discontentment of our life is longing for. It's longing for Jesus. And so I want you to know that you can find contentment in any and all circumstances. In all things, you can find contentment by trusting in Christ. And so this morning, if you're here and you don't know Jesus... And, and you're like, hey, I, 
I want to know Jesus. I, I would just say, there's no magical words. There's no magical prayer. I would just say, Jesus, I want to know you. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to know that you're real. Help me believe. Help me see. Help me know that you're alive, that you want to bring true satisfaction to my soul. Jesus, you're the thing I've, I've been looking for. For those of us who maybe know Jesus and you've been a Christian for 20 years, 30 years, sometimes our longevity with Jesus makes Jesus seem like old news. And I just have you pray this morning that the Lord would refresh in you a renewed, a flourishing passion to know Jesus, that you would see him as of supreme worth and value this morning. That you would be able to say this morning, Jesus is enough. Whatever happens to my home, whatever happens to my finances, whatever happens to my life, whatever happens to my health, Jesus is enough. Doesn't mean we won't be disappointed. Doesn't mean we won't be sad. But Jesus meets us in the midst of that and gives us the strength to face all things and the ability to give us joy even in the midst of it. That's my hope and my prayer. Lord, would you do that in us this morning? We want to know you. We, we want our heart to be stirred for you. We want to know that there's nothing that compares to Jesus. Help us to remember that. Help us where we've forgotten that. Help us to know that this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.